This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday Twilight Show. I'm your host, Michelle, and tonight I'm joined by two very special guests. We've got Miss Hope Fashina and Miss Lauren Bassett. Both of them will join me as we reflect and have an open discussion on the impact of the different teacher training pathways in the UK. How effective are they? Is there room this for improvement? This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And welcome once again, everyone, to our Twilight Session. It's so good to see some people online already. Welcome, welcome. We do look forward to having you in our discussion. And I can't wait to hear what you have to share with us this evening. But let me pause for a moment and welcome our very, very special guests. On tonight's show, it's indeed an honor to welcome Miss Hope Fashina. She has four years teaching experience and two years of middle leadership as a pastoral leader. She's currently taking a year out of teaching to broaden her scope as an educator. She's a Teach First trainee, and we're looking forward to hearing more about Hope's lovely, strange, wonderful experiences. So welcome, Hope, and thank you for joining thank us. Thank you for having me. We... Awesome. We also have on tonight's show Miss Lauren Bassett who has worked with young people in various settings for the last decade. She began her career in education as a lay chaplain in a Catholic comprehensive school before taking on an apprenticeship route into teaching. She's currently in her second year of ECT and despite training as an English specialist, has recently become lead teacher of dance. So welcome Lauren and once again, we do look forward to hearing from you as well to hear about your route into teaching your challenges and your successes so far. So ladies, welcome and thank you for sparing the time to join us on Teachers Talk Radio. I know it's Wednesday, the middle of the week, there's lots on. As a matter of fact, we got the call. We got the call uh, on Monday. So we've been busy preparing for our equivalent of Ofsted. But listen, nothing stops us <laughs> when it comes to Teachers Talk Radio. The show must go on. So listeners, remember to download the Podbean app, call us, or send us a message. Let's hear your thoughts on teacher training today versus the traditional PGC route. What are the pros and cons? What is the middle ground? Stay tuned as we hear from our sponsors. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. 
Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our Study Skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. Welcome again everyone, listeners who have already joined us, welcome. Good to see you online Tom, thank you for joining us. Tom is my boss, so good to have you online. It is very reassuring Tom, <laughs> to say the least. I also like to welcome some uh, listeners all the way in Kingston, Jamaica, and I keep forgetting to mention them every week. They do make the time to tune in. We appreciate that. So remember to download the Podbean app so you can call in or text us your message. <laughs> Tom says, no, I'm not the boss. Okay, Tom is my colleague then, uh, for want of a better word than Tom. So before we begin this discussion, which I think will be another engaging, exciting, relevant one, I just wanted to give some background and some context to this particular topic and the way we will approach it. And so we're looking at the many different routes to teacher training today, and are there too many? Are they serving the purpose? Are they all relevant? So these are some frank and honest discussions we want to have. But it is important to note that the idea of formal teacher training was something new at the start of the 19th century. And prior to that, those who held Oxbridge degrees or clerical skills taught middle and upper class children, while the working class were taught by anyone literate or numerate. And so to regulate provision, various methods of teacher training have been introduced over the years. So teaching tra teacher training provision has been described as a swinging pendulum by some people, moving between a school-based or apprenticeship model or to a college or university-based model. So what we see here today is absolutely nothing new. And for those of us who've been around the proverbial block in education, we know that the names of ideas or ideologies change but the fundamental principles remain the same. So the constant shift between both often raise questions about the quality of teaching and learning and ultimately education. And the influences for teacher demand varies. It, it depends on the demand we have for teachers. It depends on a change in government and policies or even funding and remuneration. So today we really want to unpick some of the provisions we have. Um, we'll hear from Hope as a Teach First trainee. And of course, we'll hear from Lauren, uh, who went down the apprenticeship route. And myself, I went the traditional college-based route. Uh, let me just pause to welcome Emily, a colleague of mine, both here uh, in Dubai in school and also from Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome, Emily. I look forward to hearing from you as well. And I know um, to take the time out at 10 o'clock at night here in Dubai is a sacrifice. So I appreciate that. Um, Ewan was there somewhere, hopefully, hopefully Ewan will rejoin us so we can hear from him as well. So I was just talking about the different pathways. And so today various teacher training pathways have been established to keep up with teacher shortages, similar to the 1800s, where systems were put in place to meet those demands. And there are still those, unfortunately, or fortunately, who are of the opinion that college-based training is still the best approach for various reasons. 
But listeners, if you're a teacher, whichever route you have taken, what you have done is join a very, very noble profession. So whatever route you've taken, there are no biases tonight, but people are free to express their opinions. You have taken a noble route. And Lauren, I'm going to start with you first. And the first thing I'd like you to share with us is, when did you decide to become a teacher and why? That question is for Lauren, if you could, uh, let's hear. When did you decide to become a teacher and why did you make this decision? Uh, you're breaking up a little bit, Lauren. So I'm going to ask you to sort that and hope if in the meantime, you could share with us, please, whilst Lauren will sort her sound out. Um, when did you decide to become a teacher, Hope, and why? Um, I think I decided to become a teacher um, second year of university, um, trying to decide what I wanted to do, but I knew that I had a passion for the youth. So I started a, like a programme um, where I emailed loads of schools in the local area in Birmingham and asked if I could come in and just do like a little workshop to build um, confidence for young girls. Mm -hmm. And I realised that I would make it even when it's raining, but I would not go to my own lectures when it's raining. Um, <laughs> and that's when I was like, actually, um, this this brings me joy and this is something that I'm really passionate about. Then I was like, actually, where can I put that into practice? Where can I use that? And it became schools. And um, after doing that for two years, just before COVID hit, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go into teaching. And yeah, that's that's where I apply for Teach Rest. Okay, thank you. And um my parents will tell you that I made the decision to become a teacher when I was very young. I think, my, according to my mom, I was about four years old when I decided to become a teacher. But my uh, impression of becoming a teacher was a little bit, a little bit warped because what I would do, I would line up my mom's flower pots with flowers in them, and they would be my students. And if they'd fail to hand in their homework or any assignment, I would get the belt and I would give them a fine beating <laughs> because at the time that was my interpretation of teaching. Um, and so the poor flowers, they would suffer under the hands of my punitive measures. Uh, of course, I did not follow that particular rule. But yes, we, we all develop a passion and you know there has to be that underlying reason and that drive to become a teacher. Lauren, are you ready for us? When did you decide to become a teacher and why? Are you there, I think she's still reconnecting. Okay, that is absolutely fine. We are going to take a short break, listen to our sponsors, and when we come back, I do hope to hear from some of our listeners. Uh, just tell us about your own journey as well. Why did you decide to become a teacher and when? This is Teachers Talk this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. So just looking at some of the comments, Emily said she wanted to make a difference and she also liked the creativity of lesson planning. Emily, I agree with you on that. I cannot stand a boring lesson, so I always like to interject some creativity or switch things up in the middle of a lesson when I feel like, mm, if I'm this tired, how are my students feeling? Tom said, why did I become a teacher? Whole family did it. Think it was inevitable. Tom, I think it's in your DNA. If the whole family did it, there was no way of escaping that route. And, uh, and it was a good decision, I must say. Uh, Emily said, I also, um, you were also inspired, you said, Emily, by great teachers and teachers in movies like Coach Carter, Miss Honey and Matilda, and Freedom Writers. That's amazing, Emily. So a wide um, breadth of, of ideas there about what inspired you to become a teacher. And I love the fact that you were not only inspired by real teachers, but by fictitious ones as well. Uh, that is so interesting. If anybody has the same experience, please share with us. That would be really, really intriguing to share with everybody else. And um, so we were talking about why we chose to become teachers. And then we're going to look a little bit now on the route that we chose to take, because that's what the discussion is about. So I went down the, the college-based route. And so after secondary school, I enrolled in a teacher training college in Jamaica, where I studied for three years. And this consisted of both practical and theoretic approaches to teacher training. And in my opinion, it was very thorough. We had consistent professional guidance, exams, and frequent assessments. But at, the mo at that point, I thought that was the only route. I thought that was the only way you could become a teacher. Study for three years, full-time, six months or eight months of teaching practice, and then you're given a certificate and you move into the world of teaching. But I've come to realize that there are other routes to this. So Hope, I'm coming back to you and I'd like you to describe for us your training years, the process, the training modules, if you could remember, your first placement and the level of support. It's a lot to take in, but um, so what was it like? The process, the modules, your placement, especially that initial placement. Um, okay, so mine was really different. Um, because I did go down the teach first route and I went down during lockdown. So just the COVID times. Um, so I, in 2020, well, 2019, uh, October, I did my application. Um, it was a very long application. And after you finish that, then you have to go into the, you, then you get um, shortlisted and then you do a whole day of like different activities. It was quite, quite a rigorous very rigorous um application process um trying to become a teacher so it felt like there was a lot of pressure and it felt it, i forget it it tries to highlight how important the job is um 
it was a big deal. It felt like you were going into like a business and it was in like these big business buildings, these corporate buildings, and you had a whole day of sessions. And the first part you had to deliver a a lesson where they would give you feedback on the spot and then you would have to then act on that feedback on the spot. So you didn't have time to really change your lesson. You just had to repeat the same lesson, but with the one feedback they had given you. So it was quite interesting to... I guess what they were trying to see was how well can you react to feedback because the whole two years is going to be pretty much feedback in trying to improve yourself. Um, There was a group activity and then obviously as that went on, I believe the whole day was like from 9am to about 4pm. So it's quite a long day, breaks in between, but we did have different activities all throughout. When that finished, then obviously I received um, my confirmation that that I was going to receive a school soon and as mentioned (laughs) lockdown came about in March um so unfortunately they let a lot they did let a lot of people go um because there wasn't a lot so a lot of teachers were not leaving schools at that time because they needed that security that they were going to go back to their schools because there was lockdown um lucky enough for me I was able to get my placement in a school in Birmingham who I was their first teach first so I was new to the role and obviously they were new to having a teach first teacher um I would say starting in that school it was as you know as most people know about teach first anyway a lot of teach first schools are quite difficult schools in terms of the area that it's in so the context is quite different quite challenging and um we have to work with a lot of people from low economic backgrounds and I think it's just the idea that there was a lack of motivation and as a new teacher, it was very hard to, you know, start learning and then also try to show that you're an expert in that role because a lot of students will lose faith in you because they're like, you you just died five minutes ago, miss. You don't know what you're doing. Um, but you have to keep this front of, I can do it. And, you know, you have your, we had two assignments, two 6,000 word assignments a year. Um, and a lot, of, we started to do that with having a lot of drop-ins. We had um a lot of um drop-ins that meant that we had to fill out these really long (laughs) lesson plans that could Mm -hmm. take sometimes three hours filling that out because you had to describe every single part of your lesson why was it important that part um how are you going to show impact in that part of your lesson and that had to be delivered to your um, mentor and your university mentor at the time as well or your rest tutor sorry at the time so it was quite an intense time um, tried to make sure that you enjoy the role and uh, fulfilled all the admin part that came with the role, especially being new to, you know, the corporate, the working for me anyway, because I literally went yeah. straight from uni to working. <laughs> I've gone from agency jobs to actually having to be up for, you know, and be at school 7.30, 7.15, um, and making sure that I have my lessons planned. And there was a point where my, because you start straight from the classroom, no one's there to support you, no one sits at the back, to make sure you're saying the right thing. My, um, and as, like I said, as I mentioned earlier, I was the first teach first. My school was a little bit nervous. So there was a point for about three weeks where I had to send all my lessons in advance. Every single lesson I was going to teach that week. So yeah, it was, it was quite an intense process. The modules were really good. I really enjoyed the assignments that um, Birmingham, University of Birmingham, oh, Birmingham City University gave to us. It was an amazing, um, in terms of the actual like learning and the days we had out to go to university. I didn't actually go in because of COVID, but 
Um, the days we had out was amazing. I, I really enjoyed every one of my assignments. I, I enjoyed talking about who I was in the classroom, adding yeah. that to theory, and then putting that into practice. So yeah, it was it was an intense, <laughs> intense yeah. time, but it was really um, rewarding. Shaping. Yeah, absolutely. And shaping. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good word and a good way to look at it. Hope. Thanks for that. Just um, a question based on on what you've said, and thanks for that very comprehensive uh, description. So you mentioned that you were the first teach first in your school. Do you think they were equipped to assist you and to support you the way you expected, uh, or? Do you think they were also trying to understand the process themselves? Yeah, I think that was the second one, absolutely. They were still trying to figure out how it works. They were still learning the process. There was a lot of time when I had to say, oh, bad, I don't want to miss this deadline. Like, what deadline? So I do okay. think, especially because in the time that it was, because of all the COVID years, schools were learning as well. And then adding that was a lot for them. So, yeah, I would say that they weren't as equipped, unfortunately you know, to, to aid my train as much. I was left alone quite a bit, but I had a yeah. great mentor. It's just that she also needed the backing of like senior leadership and she didn't have as much of that because they were trying to figure out how to run the school in the time that we were in. Thank you. Thank you so much. And let me just pause here to welcome uh, other guests uh, or other listeners who've joined. Thank you so much. Remember to download the Podbean, the Podbean app and you can call in. Or you can send us a message, ask a question, but do join in the conversation. Ewan, welcome. I will be hearing from you shortly. Um, Hope, just one other quick question. You mentioned that when you enter the classroom, you had to put on a kind of front to show the students, who, by the way, are very intuitive listeners. We can't fool our students. Um, How did you manage to stand in front of them as a figure of authority, fresh-faced, cherub faced and trying to convince them that you are the authority in the room <laughs> i think it's confidence right um, as, as teachers um i learned that i think after a few weeks we're actors teachers are actors in terms of we have to always show up and mm-hmm. um we have to always be what they need in that room and if that means we have to be quite strict today because we can tell that they've just come back from lunchtime and that might not be the mood that we're in. That is what we have to give them. So um, I think it was acting. It was pretty much acting and saying that I do know what I'm doing. I know why I'm here. And I'm going to make sure that by the end of this lesson, you guys know what this is. And you guys have learned this. And I know what you guys need. Um, okay. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty much acting. Yeah. Very performative. Yep, I totally agree. Thank you so much. Uh, Lauren, I'm going to ask you the same question. I hope we can hear you much better this time. Hopefully. Um Yes. How, if you could describe for us your training years, because your route was um, slightly different from, from Holt. So tell us yeah. a little bit about it. Um, so my big thing when I wanted to get into teaching, I was living away from home and having been a chaplain, I had already had a salary. So it was really important that I had a salaried route because I wouldn't mm-hmm. have been able to afford unsalaried. Um, but the issue with the salaried route is the amount of money that the school have to pay for your PGCE. So quite often they can be reluctant to go for that salaried route. So instead I was offered the apprenticeship, which was when I did it, a brand new scheme. Um, and it was run by Tess. Um, so 
it was all very, very new and very few people sort of knew what was going on, even kind of the test organisers. But the brilliant thing about it was that you went in with a timetable where I think I was teaching about four, on average, about four lessons a day. But I had one day off to complete assignments and research and learning. But a lot of it was done on the job in the room. I remember on that first day in September and I'd never taught English and suddenly it was like, yeah, so you got a full timetable, off you go. Um, and I would be observed once a week by my mentor. And then you had another mentor who was external and they would come in once a term, once every two term for a formal mm -hmm. observation and just kind of like check in and be like, oh, have you done this piece of paperwork and this piece of paperwork? Um, there were so many benefits to it, but I think I would rather have done it maybe now or maybe next year. Whereas the year that I did it, it was all over the place because people were just starting to learn how to put it together. So an apprenticeship in by, I think it's by UK law, you have to do an apprenticeship. You have to do that job for a year. And because in teaching, you have so many weeks off, it means that a teaching apprenticeship you do for a year and a half um so yeah it's quite bizarre but you kind of qualify in your first year and you're given qts and then suddenly there's a final assessment so that you get your level six in teaching which happens in about the october of the following year um wow. but yeah so lauren would you agree that uh like hope said it was very intense the the first year especially yeah yeah definitely um because on top of teaching um and kind of like a fairly full timetable where you're expected to do parents evenings you're expected to do marking you're expected to prepare students for exams you've also got your assessments and if you want to do the pgce you've still got that to do um and you've got all of these weekly tasks that you have to keep up with as well as your mental meetings and logging your notes and logging your observations and it's a lot of paperwork in the background yeah Thank you so much. And so far, both of you have shared uh, the volume of paperwork. And um, I mean, that, that goes across the board. Whatever route you take, you have to brace yourself for the paperwork and just manage your time. Ewan, welcome and thanks for calling in. Uh, could you um, share with us, Ewan, a little bit about your experience, the, the route you took into, teach into teaching and your early years? Hi Michelle, so just sort of starting off then, I think my route into teaching was, it was a lot like a lot of people's, but I think I differentiated my experience because I made the active decision and actively requested to go back to my own local community. Okay. And I think the reason why I got into that in the first place is that I felt that I wanted to make a, a difference. I, I very much agreed with the Teach First, uh, you know, the, the mission statement. And coming from an area of, of high socioeconomic deprivation, uh, that was something that I wanted to try and rectify and show that there is a route out. Uh, I think like many people, though, what I found is that, you know, learning to become your own administrator effectively and handle that level of work in addition to the requirements and the responsibility that, you know, educating the next generation brings uh, was certainly a challenge that I hear uh, I was not expecting in its entirety. They did continually say, you know, it's the deep end, it's the deep end, it's the deep end. But you, you never know how deep it is uh, until you're actually <laughs> you uh, swimming. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I think I'm 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 very much in agreement both with Hope and Lauren. Obviously, so I coming from that teach first background, like Hope though, I did find that the the paperwork side in terms of talking about every single detail of my lesson and everything that I planned and the nuances. I mean, I, I remember um, I once had a a lesson plan that was over three thousand words long, and with all of the boxes, it was it was over eight pages, uh, and that was just for an, an hour's work. And, and really putting that time and, and dedication, it, it is a, a full on commitment. Uh, and I think obviously when you realize what has gone into t- uh, teaching from a traditional role and obviously, you know, the, the, the easing in, you, you can see why actually something like that can be achievable. But I think, uh, you know, the, the rigorousness of the process now has in fact meant that obviously you, you are learning these skills so quickly and they're, it's, it's only like it's inevitable isn't it that you will make those mistakes but obviously yeah. then we need to question what the consequences of that are in such a short time frame on yeah. the children of today thank you so much Ewan. thanks for sharing that um you mentioned also just as hope did the detailed notes that you had to attach to your lesson plans hope i'm coming back to you would you say that helped to shape your approach to teaching or do you think it wasn't as relevant when you got into it all those notes did they help you become the teacher you are um very good question I think at the start they were really helpful because then you kind of you can kind of imagine your lesson so and every part of your lesson felt like you had a purpose however as time went along it felt that you were just repeating a lot of the things that you were saying because let's be honest every class every lesson can be planned but there will be changes um, depending on how the lesson goes. So it felt like, yes, I've got this script ready. And I said, I'm going to call on this child and this child and this child because they're low ability. But then that child might not be in. (laughs) And now I'm like, okay, I really said I was going to call you three. Who do I call now? So there is that, you know, fear or that panic because you're like, they've made you get into a script kind of teaching. And then, you know, so it it made it sometimes difficult to act on the spot. Because yeah. you don't know if they were, if you're, you don't know if your um, tutors and your observers were looking at that and seeing that, oh, actually, you didn't do this. Why didn't you do that? Which some of them were like. So, yeah, I think moving as you first start, absolutely is helpful. But as you start to progress, it did start for it did just feel like a tedious process. Yeah, thank you so much, Lauren. What do you think? Did you have to do the same thing where you had to justify every single bit of your your lesson plan? Um. I would in a meeting, so meeting my mentor, my, my mentor would ask me, oh, what, what was your decision or what was your rationale behind doing this? Um, but I was quite lucky in the fact that we didn't have to really put it into our lesson plans per se. Okay. It just came to kind of like an overarching like conversation, like, oh, why did you choose to do this? But um, it is quite contradictory, I think, in teacher training, because while they want you to make sure you've got everything planned for like every eventuality they then are very much kind of really quick to turn around and be like oh but you know don't stick with that if it's not working Mm -hmm. because that's the sign of a good teacher so all the way through you're kind of it's very mixed signals it's like oh yes you have to have everything you need to know who you're asking you need to know why you're asking but at the same time if it's not working then just do something else because that shows that you're adaptable um 
I think it is all of the practical stuff and reflecting on that practical stuff that's important, whether that be yes. in conversation or writing it down in journals or entries or whatever. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I've got some other questions to ask, but let me just pause and say, welcome, Charles. I think you were there briefly, but welcome anyway. And remember, download the Podbean app and do call in or send us a message. I'd love to hear about your journey. We have some hard-hitting questions coming up, so make sure you do not miss out. Um, you only talked about being thrown in the deep end. As a trainee, how did you tread water? How did you stay afloat? Because even as an experienced teacher and some of the experiences I, I have, I always think if people don't have the experience, how do they cope with some of the challenges? So just tell us briefly, as a trainee, how did you cope in that deep end? I think in part it comes to seeing that there is a, there is a culture of learning not only with you but the community that you're a part of uh, and I think coming from that Teach First background that we did have quite a large cohort um, but it was advantageous in the sense obviously that there were lots of cohorts and in this sense they were online. I initially thought that having an online cohort and not meeting up in person um, was something of a disadvantage because obviously it did it does create that sense of isolation. Mm -hmm. but actually having that online uh, community did make it somewhat more natural in terms of, you know, the sharing of resources in terms of like uh, venting if things were difficult, uh, you know, finding what the trials and tribulations of the job really were. Um, so I think actually just embracing the communities that you're a part of and also recognizing that, you know, it, yeah. in the organization, but also within the school, nobody wants you to fail. So very supportive think, community. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what helped you. Yeah, no, awesome. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah. So you've talked about the process. We've got uh, two teach first, they're on the line, and we've got Lauren who went down the apprenticeship route. So now your training has come to an end. Do you think you were fully equipped to face the realities of the classroom after your training? So I want you to share with us your initial thoughts and some of those challenges. When the training wheels came off, you no longer had a supervisor or mentor or coach um, constantly look, watching over you. What were some of those challenges and, and how did you deal with it? I'm going to start with you, Lauren. Um, God, yeah, it's a tough question. I think that I think I was definitely at an advantage when I went into it, having worked in a school for so long, because yeah. I think I remember at one point the external mentor turned around she was like oh you've got to be like one of the best trainee teachers I've ever seen and I sort of thought it was a bit of a con because I was like well I've, I've been teaching for like eight years just without actually teaching a specific subject um, and I think a lot of it comes down to working out what is the important stuff and not being afraid to make decisions in your own classroom mm -hmm. so you know those students who are in front of you and as long as every decision you make is to better their outcomes and you know how to make best or you know how to better those outcomes, you know how they work best. And I think it's having the courage of your convictions and still being able to rationalise that and still being able to verbalise why you've made that decision, um, because that's something that you pick up in teacher training. But I think that is the big thing, turning around and being like, no, I know my students. This is how they're going to be able to do it. And 
having those outcomes to prove that, look, I did that and they succeeded. That was the right choice to make. But I think that's the big thing, just having that confidence in yourself. Because once you're in the room on your own, that's the person you've got to lean on for confidence. You can't spend your whole time running around after somebody else being like, oh, please tell me I'm doing the right thing. Um, Yeah. You've got to have you've got to have that courage and be like, no, this is the right thing. I've made this decision. And if it's not, again, changing it, being like, okay, that didn't work. I thought it was going to. So what can I do instead? And whether that be through reading or resources online or joining like groups on social media, whatever it might be, but constantly keeping your eyes open to new ways of doing things. Totally agree. And it's about being reflective and reflective. So changing as you go along and changing after thinking about it. Hope, what about you? Tell me some of the challenges. And remember, on this forum, you can be very honest. Uh, We're not looking at teaching through rose-colored glasses. We know the challenges. So what were some of your challenges uh, once you ended your training? Um, I think for me, the challenge was during the training. Um, Okay. I I actually felt like after the training was over, I felt like I wasn't doing enough anymore because I didn't have as much things to do. Because um, why didn't when you don't when you're doing a training, you don't realize how much you are doing whilst you are training. That be the assignments or the fact that you know, um, because we have to prove that we are hitting each teacher teacher standards. You're yeah. having to actually, for example, for one of the standards, I had to do a, a mark sheet for all my classes and write comments for every single child. And I had to do that because I had to prove that I was considering the children. Oh, here, here's proof of that. Um, and it was just weird after coming off training that, oh, I don't, okay, so what do I do now? Am I doing the right thing? Is this, is, you know, and you don't have as much people come into your classes anymore to come and watch what you're doing either because they're like, yeah, you've got this now. You, you've had three years of training. Um, so you're also like, like Rowan kind of said, how do you, you know, make decisions now because there's no one to answer to apart from you being the, the person in charge in the room. Um, so I think for me it was almost like feeling like I wasn't doing enough anymore okay. or not trying to decide what was important from what I got from my training because I was doing so many things during my training I didn't know if this was important or if this wasn't important or what was actually helping my classes am I just showboating or am I actually being the teacher I'm supposed to be that's interesting Hope so are you saying that there's a gap between the training years and then becoming a teacher would you say that there's a failure and a breakdown somewhere because if the intensity is no longer there, then that could result in boredom and maybe a lack of that desire and passion for teaching. What do you think? Yeah, I think, but this is the thing though. Some people are not then, because it's so difficult at the start, you don't know that if that's meant to be what it's meant to look like when they finish. Okay. Um, and I don't want, the push is that, I don't know if they make it intense on purpose because then it's so intense that a lot of people then now are dropping out of teaching or not, are not trying to go down the teaching route because they are seeing how intense it is and how much the workload is that mm. because they've had to add extra workload to what the job already gives you. So when you now come out of that or if you are able to survive that two years or three years of training, you're mm. now like, okay, so am I doing enough? Is this enough? So I think it's it's hard to say that because someone else could say, actually, that was too intense for me. I'm not doing this anymore. Whereas for some people, that is what drives them. So okay. I think for me, it was like, okay, now that I've finished three years, 
and I, I'm, I, I am used to do more work. I went down the pastoral route and said, I'm going to do more. Everyone knows that pastoral adds a bit more to your workload or doing any extra thing in school mm-hmm. will always add more to your workload. So I think I found myself searching for, I need more, I need more, I need more because I've always been so busy in my first years of teaching. That is so interesting, Hope. And it is interesting because I've had the same discussions with colleagues, you know, after moving to Dubai. And when I left the UK, I was director of learning for English. And then I came here as a classroom teacher and then was asked to help out as second in charge. And that intensity that came with being at the helm of leadership wasn't there initially. And uh, as Emily would confirm, we had lengthy discussions about that. And so maybe other people can't relate, but as teachers, we always want to be doing something. That's what I find. And we always want to impact change and to be making a difference. And so if we're not given the tools or the opportunities to do that, then we get this, this boredom and, and then people decide to leave. I'll come back to that, uh, Hope, because that, uh, we need to talk about that as it relates to the decision you made later on. Um, Yuan, do you want to share with us some of the challenges you faced once the training wheels were off and you were almost left on your own now to sink or swim? Yeah, so I think um, we could probably consider theoretically, um, you know, things like Evan House's forgetting curve. And I think I was I was very much um, I, I fell into that because I think I, I lived to the framework. I, I respected the framework. I thought the framework is is what I must follow. It's a code. But then after you finish the initial training and you are sort of, you know, uh, you know, free run, running the fields in education, you it's the little things, I think, that get you, I think, in terms of, you know, staying on top of routine, staying you know collectively uh, on board with teaching the mission and the motivation. I think it's not inherently that I lost motivation uh, for teaching, but I think very much like hope the, the the challenge had dropped away because suddenly there was less. And I think there's a certain amount of complacency uh, that I then began to feel. And I think actually then realizing that, no, now this is my own journey to form. This is actually, I've got to find my own direction now and decide where I want to go with it. And I think when we, when we consider actually that, you know, lots of people found the, the challenge and the intensity and some people decide to go in different directions with education, whether that be inside of it or outside of it. Um, it is at the end of the day, I think in many ways, like teach first had them been is like a stepping stone. Lots of people, as it was traditionally teach first, you teach first and you do something else. But those of us that obviously sort of stay in it uh, and are in it and and want to, to continue to be in it. Um, obviously there's, there's that lack of like future aspirations and you do have to find them yourselves. And I think sometimes I, I do sometimes wish I had a bit more direction sometimes, but. I think slowly but surely after a, a year out after that, that I am starting to find my way and the direction that I do want to go in. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for that very honest review. Um, and that's going to link to some of the discussions we'll have later on. Uh, the fact that some people use the teacher, teach first route as a stepping stone. I'd like to unpick that a little bit more. But my question before we go for another break is, where is that breakdown then? And, and who's responsible? Who do you think is responsible for maintaining that momentum and keeping young, bright minds in the classroom? Because so far, um, both Hope and Ewan, you've both said 
after that intense training and that demanding uh, expectation, then all of a sudden there's a lull. So who is responsible for maintaining that high and that drive? Hope, do you want to tell us what you think? Is it yourself or is it the government, the policies, the teachers, um, the leaders? I think for me, it was the leaders. Um, I'll say obviously myself as well, but the leaders play a big part. Um, as mentioned, I was I was um, head of year by my second year of teaching. So by my second teach first year, I was head of year, um, which some would argue that it was too early for me. But I think for me, that was it was perfect for me because I needed more <laughs> um, and I needed to know what route I wanted to go down. And my school thought, oh, you're doing Teach First. Teach First is a leadership, um, it's a leadership program. You should yeah. be doing something else now. Um, I wish maybe there was like a deputy, <laughs> not maybe straight not into head, um, head of year. But that intensity, I think that because my head teacher noticed that in me and said you know what I think you'd be great in this field that was what pushed me and made me carry on going um I wish I had more support at the time I think if it wasn't for the lack of support I would have definitely probably stayed in that school as well and carried on with that year group I think if not I didn't have the support that I was hoping I would have during that time it would have been a perfect opportunity for me um but yeah I think the leaders I think when when we feel like it's we're adults but we're also still kids especially when you've just come out of uni if someone says I feel I see you doing this and I think you'll you'd be amazing at this there's that boost of confidence especially when you've just started um so I think it's maybe starting to gear us like that to finish training to Mm. not lead not straight away leadership roles but maybe getting us to Mm. be behind some leaders in schools and making sure that we are also sit exactly almost like shadowing them just that we can see what is next for us so that we still have that drive moving forward as teachers yeah um we're going to develop and uh develop on that point later on but is it atil jane has joined us and i'd love to hear your contribution or your question (laughs) please go ahead tell us what you've got to share with us is it atul Jane? Yes, I thought Jane is speaking. Yes, you want to share with us your um, teacher training experience? Teachers training edu- education, I have taught the students uh, in schools five years. Mm-hmm. And what was your training route? The students are uh, understand easily and find comfortable with me and okay. cooperative behavior they show and support mentally. Okay. Um, do you mind telling us where you're calling from? So because uh, you're saying that the kids have been well behaved and very cooperative. So I uh, would love to know where, which part of the world you're calling from. I'm from India, Agra, Uttar Pradesh. Okay, awesome. Well, well, I'm glad your experience is great. And um, just stay tuned and we'll talk some more about that. And everybody else, do stay tuned. We will now hear from our sponsors. <laughs> 
Thank you. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. Okay, welcome back everybody. And just to sum up what we've talked about so far. So we've talked about the different routes to teacher training and the challenges. We've talked about the intensity of the training. And what's um, coming out of the discussion in the last 10 minutes is that gap in between having been trained, now you're a full-fledged teacher, but the intensity isn't there anymore. And then what we're getting are a breed of teachers who are becoming a little bit bored of the provision and, and the, the challenges and the opportunities. And as Ewan and Hope said, some people then move on into the corporate world and they see this as a stepping stone. And I really want to take the next set, set, um, section of the discussion a bit further and to delve deeper into that. So we know that we have different routes to teacher training and we've got the BA in education, <clears throat> we've got the PGC route, we've got the SKIP, which is a school-centered initial teacher training route. Um, one of my colleagues today said, and I quote, she said, best decision ever. I went straight into the classroom and I loved it. And that was for the SKIP route. We've got the early years provision as well, the school's direct training program. And of course, we've got the teach first. So before each show, I, I ask people their opinions on the topic. And one particular person, she was very passionate about, about this. And uh, <laughs> she said, don't get me started. And she said for her, the accelerated route seems to promote leadership rather than teaching people to hone their skills in the classroom. So it's about leadership. And Hope, I heard you mention a bit of that. We'll talk some more about it. She went on to say, this was to the detriment of the school and pupil progress because of a lack of subject knowledge and skills. So my question to you is, how far do you agree with the statement that the accelerated program is about leadership? But what we need are people in front of our students who will be delivering effective, highly skilled, highly well-prepared lessons. Lauren, what do you think? I know your route was a little bit different, but share your opinion. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing Hope and Ewan, and it comes back to a question that I was talking with um, an ex-colleague the other day. Now, I'm a, I'm a few, just a few years older than both Ewan and Hope, and I didn't do kind of like go to university and straight out of university go into teaching um, but 
a friend of mine did. And she went through her teaching and she loved it. And she, all her life, she wanted to be an English teacher. Mm-hmm. And then by the age of like 25, she'd done that. And she found it really tough because that was her big dream. That was her big ambition. And being 25 is too early to be a head of department. Um, And so she found it really difficult because she was like, well, I've done it. It's kind of the same sort of sensation as those people who say win a gold medal at the Olympics. They spend all of those years kind of like, that's what they're dreaming of. That's what their aim is. And then suddenly they get it. And it's like, oh, well, what do I do next? And I think that's where you see the difference between kind of, you know, those athletes who then go on to continuously win gold medals and those people who do it once and it's the most incredible thing, but then they're never able to kind of get that drive back. And I wonder whether that's very similar. Whereas I went into teaching kind of later on, I'd already done that sort of sense of kind of like loads and loads of work, putting loads of my energy and effort into something. And then suddenly I was about 27 and I was like, right, I'm going to do teaching now because it's something that I really want to do. Um, and so I, I personally feel that I, I don't have that sense of, oh, I need to be doing the next thing. I need that drive and that intensity, but I can't help but feel that things like teach first, which is all about promoting you to leadership roles. I remember my principal at my last school, he, I think he did teach first and then within like two years, he was a head of department. And then he was on the SLT. And so he'd only been in the classroom, I think, for something about six or seven years. And suddenly he was a head teacher. And with all due respect, he was an awful head teacher because he hadn't hadn't worked out those people skills. He hadn't put the groundwork in to get up to that level of being a head teacher. Um, And so I do think these accelerated routes do kind of promote that because it's high intensity. It's a high workload. It's pushing you constantly to, oh, but what more can you do? What more can you do? What more can you give me? Um, And then you do get to that point of not even 30 and think, oh, well, I can't do the next step. So what do I do? And especially if you see around you, everybody Mm -hmm. else being promoted. So if you're in kind of like, if you're in accounting or whatever it might be, and you Mm -hmm. can get promoted because there's far more levels. Whereas in teaching, there aren't as many levels. And so... I think that might be part of the issue. Thank you so much, Ronnie. Thank you for that very honest uh, response. And um, just to buttress what you've said, um, another colleague actually said for the accelerated trainees, there's a lack of people skills. Uh, They can't give effective feedback after observing lessons because they don't really know what they're looking for and they don't have the expertise to give such feedback, especially to more experienced teachers. And this is what she ended her her, um, message to me with. It's like passing your driving test and being on the road uh, alone daily. She said there are two different things. And that's how she summed up programs such as Teach First. So Ewan, share your thoughts. Do you think uh, the accelerated program into leadership is effective? Or as Lauren is saying, you get to a point where you plateau and you're like, what do I do next? So I think actually I was rather fortunate to be surrounded by a collective of, of highly talented and, and very professional people. And I think in many ways, a lot of them were extremely deserving of, of the positions that they did get. So obviously, I, you know, 
Uh, obviously, when I started in teaching, I remember at the same time my uh, I got to the end of, of my time in my previous school, which mm -hmm. was my first ECT year. And my colleague, uh, you know, same level experience of me, came from uh, somewhat different backgrounds. But again, uh, the it was of no way to either of us in our background, if you understand. Mm -hmm. um, and she, I mean, she, she was uh, promoted to secondary department. And I remember also at the same time that there was another person in the department who joined SLT, who had been in teaching, I believe at that point, less than five years. And then I'd heard other success stories, if you will. And I think that is the key term there is success stories, because again, it is it is very much a, a narrative we do see um, of, of, of another a colleague in a different school, but part of the same uh, trust who within the first year, I believe, was then uh, sort of seen as someone who could potentially go into leadership and then they did end up leading a department. So I think one of the, but, the things... Sorry, consider... Ewan, but how, how effective were they as leaders? Did they have all the skills and all the tools that they needed to be effective leaders after two years, three years in the classroom? I think the, the evident answer to that would probably be not. And I, I think I'm, I'm very much in agreement with others there when, when we say no, because again, I think, correct, there is a natural plateau, but I think education is one of those jobs where you do learn on the go. And, and I'll admit, I, I was one of those people that said, you know, I, I really would like to go into leadership at this at this precise moment. I feel like I, I'm I know you are. I feel like I can mm -hmm. do it. <laughs> yeah, I know I you know. <laughs> but, As a matter but, of fact, um, listeners, uh, when I met Ewan, uh, Ewan said to me, oh, by the way, I'm coming for your job. Yes. And then a few, <laughs> few months later, paraphrase, he said, uh, oh, oh, Michelle, mm, actually, I don't think I'm ready yet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Go on, Ewan. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, I, I admittedly, yes, I, I had, I think, some arrogance in that. Paraphrasing, Michelle. But um, yeah, I... I um, <laughs> I definitely have, have been on a very personal journey uh, when it comes to education and understanding where where I would like to go with it. And I think I, I realised actually quite early that I, I had reached a plateau in my own personal capacity and ability. And I think that's why, obviously, I started to seek other experiences on top of the training that I had received. So does that in some way suggest that the tra training I received was insufficient? No, I think in some way it was it was somewhat suitable for uh for obviously the the job that i was going into however obviously i felt you know as, as my own confidence level and my own ability to teach that i wanted to take that further so yeah. you know i'm currently doing a, a qualification in leading behavior and culture um i just recently completed my master's in education focused on autonomy thank you very much um but yeah i, I think overall yes uh, i think it would be correct to say that there is a natural plateau yeah thank you so much and i really appreciate the fact that you're all being so honest so for those of you who are just joining, welcome. Hi there, Roya. And we've got, um, I saw Romeo earlier. I got excited, but Romeo is gone. I hope Romeo will come back um, and we can hear from them as well. Lauren said, I think an important part is in employment is employment maturity, which only grows over time. So we've got people saying, well, it's okay if you're at the point in your career where you think you can make that progress, then it should not, you should not be denied that opportunity. So if you're 25 and you think you're ready to be head of department, go for it. But at the other end of the spectrum, we have people saying, no, you need that level of experience. You need to develop those people skills. 
before you launch into leadership. Um, another person wrote into me and said, the obvious difference between the quality and the level of experience of SLT, going back, say, 20 years ago to today, uh, she said it's very different. And this is, what, this is how she described it. She said two teachers came to her school recently for a VP role. She said both of them looked like 12 years old and one was a network lead prior to applying for that role. And this was her final comment. She said, I would have re-advertised if I were responsible for that, for appointing somebody to that role. Hope, do you think we're, too, we're being too harsh here or people are being too harsh and those who go through the teach first route who are actually trained to push themselves into leadership? Or do you think it is an honest and factual judgment? Um, I've heard this argument a lot um, in terms of, a lot, I feel like the teachers that didn't go through the classroom route or straight into the class, well, most of them anyway, um, usually say this, that they feel like the teachers that did go through this accelerated, accelerated route are the ones that are pushing for leadership. Um, but I think it's because of, like you said, it's it's what we've been told. <laughs> so when you come in, it's what they've told you to aspire for. And it's really hard to, and the same to you, in order to aspire for that, you need to make sure that your classroom is perfect. So you are striving for this perfect classroom and perfect teacher version of yourself for the mm -hmm. first two years or as soon as you get into the classroom. And it's because everything's so tedious and there's so much to do, you feel like they're training you for the workload that you're going to get for leadership. So when you get into leadership, you're like, okay, so I am used to this workload already. Um, I think it's very dependent on the person. I would agree that there would be some people that absolutely need more class, need more time in the classroom and more time learning to be around people and learning to actually be in a corporate setting or a teacher setting or even a school before you can actually become a leader in a school. So I think it's very important that it is quite, it depends on the individual. I think it does depend on the individual in terms of what can that person do in that short amount of time. Um, I would say for me, in my in that my second year of going into leadership, some of it was difficult and some of it did deter me away from teaching because I was doing so much as still a trainee. Um, and I felt like there wasn't a clear job title. Okay. It wasn't clear of this is what a head of year should do and this is what a head of year, this is what a good head of year looks like. I remember going into a line manager meeting with the assistant head that was for behavior at the time and I said to him I don't know what I am doing and his response was yeah you meant to just it feels like that sometimes it's just how I'm meant to feel like but what I wanted was every day this is what should be done every week this is what you should show I was looking for this 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 Exactly. I needed some structure. And I don't know if that's because of the school or I don't know if that's because of the way leadership was at, at that time or whatever the case was. So I think, again, because I wanted to do a lot, I was and I went into teaching, um, wanting to change everything, <laughs> not everything, but I yeah. was big on change and I was big on like, I had this dream of, I want to make sure I impact this and I want to impact that. And I really want, because I feel like the students would, we'll see this in, in this and 
the thing is, I felt like because I was so young at the time, mm-hmm. still quite young, but because I was so young at the time, so she said, "Hey, then, hold, don't rub it in." A lot of them were inspired um, mm-hmm. by the fact that I started, and I felt like a lot of them actually appreciated that I wasn't too far off their age, and I was mm-hmm. doing a leadership role because I kind of understood they were thinking um yeah. it didn't mean i have to be a leader i had to be a leader to to you know for that to happen but i think because in the school that i was in they needed someone that understood the kids that was mm-hmm. in a leadership role and i could advocate for them there was enough advocates at the time um when i was at that school so i think mm-hmm. again it goes back to the person like are they checking them enough in these classrooms to make sure that they are the right fit for that school are they checking them in the classroom and even the way they interact with their colleagues to make sure that they are the right person for leadership are they Mm -hmm. are we looking at all the other aspects before we actually decide yes you can go for that role um i think that's where things may be a bit blurry okay thank you so much hope you mentioned um the intensity of the workload during the training program makes teach first candidates especially believe that they can undertake leadership roles how much of the of the training or how many modules are dedicated to leadership or is it predominantly teaching and learning? Funny enough, it's actually predominantly teaching and learning. Um, mm-hmm. There wasn't actually much emphasis, well, for what I remember anyway, there wasn't much emphasis on leadership. Um, I think my school just had the pressure that they were supposed to do something with me after the year. So just to impress Teach First at the time, they were like, okay, we're going to make a leader um so i think it's it's the idea that um it was a lot of teaching and learning it was very 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 big on teaching and reading all the literature surrounding teaching and how to be a good teacher so when you when it's so intense and when someone's people are always watching you to seem to make sure that you're doing the right thing then you kind of feel that you can do it so i don't know if if it was a pro or a con but depending on the person Thank you so much. And that is what the debate is all about. You know, are these programs really equipping young teachers to become effective leaders? Or is the pressure too much? And then when the pressure gets to such teachers, they then leave the classroom. And this is what somebody else had to say. They said they jump into the fire and then they flounder, leading them to quit and return to the private sector. And so I, I would love for you, to, for you to share your thoughts on that because you and you did mention that some people use it as a stepping stone. And when you said that, that really uh, impacted on me a little bit because I don't know if it's because I think maybe like Tom, teaching is almost in my blood. And if you probably cut me, you'll see lesson plans and um, learning walks and book monitoring flying out of my veins. Um, so to, to learn that for some people, it's a stepping stone. Uh, that, that that did um, hurt me a little bit. Do you want to elaborate on that, Ewan? Is it because people come in and what they're expecting they didn't get? Is it the behavior in the classroom? Is it lack of guidance? Because mind you, a lot of the accelerated programs, the teachers are expected to be the coaches and the mentors, and they have their own challenges as well and their own demands. So either Ewan or Hope, because you both did the teach first, uh, shed some light on that. Is it just a stepping stone or is it people just genuinely go into it to become an effective teacher 
And two years later, they're like, no, I, I can't deal with teenagers telling me to shut up. I, I think, obviously, first and foremost, what is really important to highlight here is is certainly, you know, the sympathy that we we have for teaching at the moment. I think, obviously, you know, uh, I really do empathise with you there, Michelle, obviously, when, you know, you do hear about, you know, stepping in and out of the role. Because, obviously, when you've got someone as such as yourself who is so dedicated mm -hmm. uh, to the role, you know, you, you feel like, am I really in the right thing? Is, is my passion misplaced? And I think, no, it's not. It's not because teaching is one of those things that it isn't just a job is it i mean everyone says no. that it's not just a job it is it's not even just a career it's a vocation mm -hmm. and i think obviously the desired goal of any of these teaching courses uh, no matter what background it is from is to instill a love of learning not only in the kids but also in the teachers themselves yeah. i i frankly feel that i i have massively enjoyed my my journey into teaching you know we can all grumble and we can all talk about like the issues that can crop up, certainly. But I think in many ways, the, the people that stick with with the journey are the ones mm -hmm. that enjoy learning the most and see, obviously, you know, there, there is a great deal of value in that. Inherently, people that do go into other things, they're following their life's passions. And I think everyone, you know, yeah. should follow their passions. Uh, I think in many ways, we, we sort of all wish that there were more people that were passionate about. Thank you so much, Ewan. Survival of the fittest. That brings me back to you, Hope, because you've taken a little break. <laughs> Here's your chance to tell the public, why have you taken a break? I know you will go back, but why? We're curious. <laughs> um, so <laughs> for me, I think I did, because as, as I've kind of mentioned, I did go in really strong into teaching yeah. and... Um, I, I was saying it to my little brother earlier today that I cared a lot. I, I mean, I literally put my, I felt like every child was my little sibling. And again, because I was so similar in age to them, I was like, that's me. Like, you're basically me. And I need to make sure that you get what you get. And when you when they are, you know, I, I felt like I was getting a bit too sensitive when it comes to certain things. I was so passionate about their future. Mm -hmm. Um and I was so passionate about the end goal and making sure that they are where they need to be. Mm -hmm. um, so I just, I had to talk to myself and I felt like my passion started feeling a bit misplaced um, because I, didn't, I, I looked around, I was like, no one else is as, as sharp, <laughs> no one else is as eager as me. <laughs> What's going on? Am yeah. I am I doing too much? Um, is anybody mm -hmm. else here trying to do what we're doing? Um, so... I just I ha I wanted to take the break because I wanted to gain get my love back, um, okay. and I wanted to also experience what everyone's like. You know, leave teaching and you you know you have your nine to five and it ends at this time. And so I wanted to see what that looks like because, like I said, I did go straight from I did go straight from you know university straight into the classroom, and I realized that I don't know maybe a lot of the teachers that did go into teaching didn't go straight into the classroom, especially the older ones. They had all experienced you know recruitment or just corporate world and they're like yeah it's not for me and that's why I became a teacher and I felt like I didn't have that thing to to say oh yeah no I've done this before and that's why I realized teaching is for me so there there was this uh almost like idea that it felt like everybody else there was it was a green it was green the grass is green on the other side it felt a yeah. little bit like that so I wanted to see what the grass was like is it <laughs> um, green hope is the grass green hope and I'm um, Tom, Tom just said it, tell uh, the public 
Uh-huh. <laughs> it is green. I'm not going to lie to you. I do close my laptop at four o'clock. By, my job is from eight to four. I'm still kind of teaching. I'm an operational trainer. So I train people for a particular okay. role in the home office. Um, but I will say I miss children. <laughs> I miss the engagement with them. I miss, um, you know, the community. Like, I, I remember now why I went into teaching, if that makes sense. Like, I will obviously see this role too until the end, but I would love, I will happily definitely go back to teaching. Um, but I think I needed this to kind of yeah. get me back to where I used mm-hmm. to be. And obviously, hopefully not as sensitive <laughs> as I was, because I did take a lot of like, and that's why, you know, the school that we all met at, the school that um, me and you met yeah. at, um, Michelle, mm-hmm. was felt different because I needed kids to have that drive because I had it for them. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I think it's, this was really, it's a nice break to remind myself why I do have that drive, but also maybe how to tame my drive so that I'm not disappointed when I don't receive that from the students as well. Thank you. And it's good to know that uh, you intend to come back because... I think you have so much to offer. And yes, you're still teaching, but just in another capacity. Also, hope don't forget that children keep us young and they keep us abreast of all the slangs and the changes and we want to be in the know, right? So it's so important that you remain connected to, to young people as they really keep us on our toes. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. And uh, Lauren... Share your thoughts as well about the fact that some people don't stick around. I know for you, for example, you mentioned it earlier and I mentioned it in your um, introduction. So you trained as an English teacher. I think you're still teaching some English, but you've now stepped into the leadership of the wonderful world of dance. (laughs) Do you think your training prepared you for that or is it just the demand at the time? Um... It was interesting. To make I was this, this transition, yeah. Yeah, I was having this discussion with um, a member of staff today and they turned around and said kind of that, you know, oh, well, I just want to focus on my subject. Like, why am I having to teach another one? And kind of was like talking to me and I said, well, I actually don't mind what I teach. Like, it really doesn't matter to me. I think that was when I looked at getting into teaching after doing my degree, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to go down kind of the counselling route, which I had qualifications for, if I wanted to go and do teacher training. Mm-hmm. And I realised I just, I love school. I love the environment of school because you get basically these kids who arrive, who are 11 and they think they know it all. And then suddenly they're met by these 16 year olds who are twice their size, got twice <laughs> their attitude. And suddenly they realise they're a lot smaller than they thought. And you can then see them progress and mature and discover the world and build their own opinions rather than just regurgitating what it is that their parents have said for them for the past 11 years. And you see them making those choices. No, I want to go off and do this. No, I want to go off and do that. And I think that's so powerful. And being in a school, no matter what you teach, you impact that. And I think that is the uh, so it doesn't matter to me what it is that I teach I, I I mean I love teaching dance more than English because it's not as heavily exam based okay, but steady, I still steady. love teaching yeah um <laughs> but I still I still love the actual teaching of English I think is great um yeah. but what I love about kind of dance is the freedom of you know even though you might take your b-tech in it or you might take a GCSE in it it's not 
it's about all of that extracurricular stuff. It's building that yeah. confidence, which I think can sometimes get lost in core subjects because, you know, oh, if you don't pass this exam, you will have to retake it. And so it becomes this idea of like, oh, I must pass rather yeah. than I want to develop a love of this subject. But I think one of the big things about teaching is so much of it relies on goodwill. And yeah. when you're young or younger, I think there's only a certain amount of goodwill when you see everybody around you not having to give that. Yeah. Um, whereas kind of if you especially if you don't always see kind of the response from that goodwill, putting yeah. in that extra hour with a student and then seeing them do well in their exam, that's that's a long time to wait for that thanks, that gratitude, yeah. mm-hmm. that feeling of, oh, I did the right thing. And I think that's that's where the big issues are in teaching. How yeah. much can you push somebody's goodwill um, before they decide, actually, do you know what, it's not worth it? Yeah. But thank you for that. And uh, we just keep pushing, right? And um, what I'm getting from this conversation with you, Lauren, is that uh, it doesn't matter what you're probably trained to teach if you transition over into something else you are still transferring those skills and ultimately impacting yeah. on the outcomes of young people. And that for me is interesting because I, it, you can correct me from wrong, Ewan or Hope, but I believe that for Teach First, you don't necessarily train to teach the subject that you have your first degree in. And for some people, that is an issue because uh, especially people who follow the traditional routes are saying, well, if you were, if you did a degree in geography, why are you coming to be English and be line manager of English, for example? So people always have those discussions. But Lauren is saying you've got the passion and you're impacting on lives positively, and it shouldn't be a problem. We're going to take a break now for the news. Uh, do stay tuned, and when we come back, we will round up the discussion. Thank you all for joining so far. Everybody who's joined, whether you're live with us here on Podbean, I can see you or you're listening somewhere. All my Jamaican people, hello, hello, and thank you so much for joining. Stay tuned. We will be right back. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. We have featured the issue of overseas students applying to UK universities a number of times on Teachers Talk Radio News. This year's application figures have recently been released. An analysis by the BBC shows the numbers are up for the second year in a row. The latest data shows over 115,000 students from outside the UK have applied, up almost 1,000 on last year. The rise comes despite tougher government rules to help reduce migration. It also follows accusations that universities have lowered standards to recruit overseas students, who can be charged more than students from the UK. Despite the rise, the number remains below pre-pandemic levels. UCAS Chief Executive Dr Joe Saxton said UK applications have also risen in recent years. However, Vivian Stern, Chief Executive of Universities UK, said the figures did not tell the whole story, as applications do not always translate into enrolments. She said that any future fall in enrolments could make it more difficult for universities to offer places to home students due to the financial impact. Ms Stern went on to explain that UK universities may be less appealing to overseas students due to policy changes around bringing family 
competition from universities in the US and Australia, and unhelpful government rhetoric. Full details of the story can be found on the BBC News website. The Mathematical Association's Twitter feed draws attention to changes announced by government on maths and English condition of funding for 16 to 19 year old learners. The changes, which can be found on the government website, include minimum teaching hours for full-time students, saying that they should be three hours per week for English and four hours per week for maths. It also states this should be standalone, whole class, in-person teaching. The extra hour reflects the existing expectation should be prioritised to ensure students receive a standard number of taught hours. Compliance will be measured for the academic year 2025 to 26. Full details of the impact on funding and other changes can be found on www.gov.uk. The post on Twitter did prompt renewed concerns about maths teacher recruitment and timetabling issues. FE Week also featured a story on the changes, calling them unworkable and a backward step. Wales Online features a story about languages teaching and qualifications, but not in the way you might expect. Whilst the Welsh National Party have long campaigned for increasing Welsh language teaching, members of the Wales Somaliland community are urging the Welsh Government to include a GCSE in Somali language in the new Welsh curriculum. The community is writing to Education Minister Jeremy Miles to explain the importance of this to the 15,000 strong Somaliland community, saying it is important for young people to recognise and gain qualifications in their language and heritage. Community activist Ali Abdi said it was important that the large number of Somali pupils studying Welsh secondary schools learned their mother tongue and be recognised for their linguistic and cultural heritage. According to Mr Abdi, introducing a Somali GCSE aligns with the Welsh Government's commitment to diversity, equality and social justice. Finally, the BBC reports on research which has examined children's attitudes towards the monarchy. The outcome of the research suggests more support for the royals among state schools than in private ones. The study by King's College London found 66% of children in state schools aged 6 to 12 had a positive view of the monarchy, compared with 56% in private. It also found higher levels of support among children than among teens and young adults. The findings were based on questions for 2,000 pupils across 200 schools. The findings on primary school children in England, Scotland and Wales were in stark contrast to the views of young adults, with a YouGov twice yearly poll showing only 27% of 18 to 24 year olds saw the monarchy as good for Britain. The researchers said the primary children responding to questions around the monarchy had said it made them feel happy, excited or proud. Researchers could not explain the difference between state and private, but suggested it could reflect higher levels of international pupils in the private school sample meaning they could have less of a connection to the British royal family. Further details of the research and its findings, as well as comparisons with other studies, can be found on the BBC News website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox. Thank you so much, Jo. Uh, lots of great information there for all of us. And we're now entering the final few minutes of our show, which I think 
has been such an engaging discussion and um, I must thank my guests for making it worth our while this evening. And so before we round up, I'm going to give you each a minute. And what message would you like to leave with skeptics about anything outside of the traditional route to teaching? Those who think now it should just be university or college based and we should not have a fast track or apprenticeship route. What message would you like to leave with them tonight? And Lauren, I'm starting with you and then Ewan and then Hope. Um, I would probably start off by saying that I think in the nicest way possible, you're wrong. Um, I think that every training kind of course offers its own benefits. Um, so I think teaching and learning while you're in the classroom, it gives you an extra year of experience because you're in that classroom. Um, you've got that practical experience to reflect on. You've got that practical experience to develop, to grow. Um, and I think that's so important with teaching, especially as, you know, you never know what's going to come up. You turn up every day and even though that's the plan you've got, suddenly something happens and it goes out the window because they don't remember mm. what they did last lesson. And I think practical experience is so valuable and things like teach first, if it gets teachers into the classroom, then that's a really important thing to do because even if, what is it, it's something horrific, like 50% of teachers leave within the first five years or something, at least you've had those teachers in the room and you can persuade them in those five years to stay even if it's only you've persuaded half of them. Whereas if it's always going down a university route, if you haven't got kind of that, the money to be able to do it unsalaried, then are you mm -hmm. putting off a whole load of people that would never become teachers? Fantastic. So, yeah. so Lauren, what I gathered from all of that, to sum it up, you were saying to those people, you're wrong. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, uh, in a word. <laughs> you're wrong, thank you. <laughs> you sum it up for us, one minute. What's your message to the skeptics? I think above everything else, it is absolutely imperative that we recognise that this is something that everybody, if qualified, and if you've got that energy, that, that fire in you, to absolutely give it a go. I think, if anything, obviously, I've, I've come across tonight in a way probably where I've said, oh, well, you've got to consider this problem and this problem. Ah, but overall, it is such a rewarding and, and wonderful journey to be on. Uh, and I, I look forward to, to where it takes me, you know, myself yeah. and obviously where I might find that. But I think to anyone that is skeptical about teaching, actually is skeptical about, even if they really could just click apply online, is to honestly say, just dive in. <laughs> Great. So Lauren said, you're wrong. Ewan says, just dive in. It is rewarding. Hope, what have you got for us? <laughs> as proud as the both of them um but what i would like to say is that i found that people that did go through that university route not everyone um but a lot of the people that i came across during my training they didn't feel as equipped because they didn't go straight into the classroom and, and they felt like i had more experience than them because i was in the classroom because a lot of them did have teachers with them the whole you know two years of their of their training and then now they have to sit in a classroom on their first day and it didn't feel it didn't feel as confident. So I think they can't. <laughs> we can't take away this route when it, I think it's what actually, like Lauren says, it what it's what gets the teachers that shouldn't be there out, um, or the people that have just done it for the money, or have just decided that they will just 
going to be teachers but didn't realize how important and how intense the role was was going to be I think this is the best way of like saying actually this is not for me and that, that was the best route to go down if we wanted to find out who was going to last time or actually be there for a longer time okay so you're saying go for it some people will stay some people will move on those were meant to stay will stay it does help with the teacher shortages and it does help to make sure that students have a teacher in front of them and also what i'm gathering from all of you is that it's it's almost like hands-on training and yeah a retired teacher ruth in east sussex actually said something similar she messaged to say that uh for the, the traditional route she believes that they also need to have more time in the classroom and she doesn't believe that the the amount of practice they get is sufficient to prepare them um, in the long run. So it's about finding that middle ground and merging both worlds and getting the best for students and ultimately the best for society. And that takes us to the end of our show tonight. Thank you so much for joining listeners. Um, Thank you for tuning in. For those who made comments and likes, thank you so much. A special thank you to my guests, Hope, and Lauren, and of course, Yohan, who joined us and sharing those invaluable and insightful um, experiences and comments as well. I really do appreciate that. Thanks again, listeners, and for joining Teacher Talk Radio. And remember, do tune in again in two weeks' time for another engaging and exciting discussion around teaching. Well, have a great night, and I will see you soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.